All right, church, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and start making our way back to our seats. If you will. And we will begin. First Peter. So if you're getting back to your seats, go ahead and get your Bibles ready. And we're going to jump into first Peter chapter three. Good to see everybody this morning. Um, excited about this passage, challenging passage. And I made myself a disclaimer. I have this kind of a rule where I preach a sermon seven times before I get here on a Sunday morning. And I noticed that on my seventh, I was like, oh, I've got a lot of words. So I added in the disclaimer that says, there's a lot in this passage, important topic sticking to my notes today to ensure that I cover it all. So I'm gonna try really hard because we're gonna talk about wives, and then we want to talk about husbands, and it would be completely unfair to talk about wives and say, oh, we're, we're out of time. Sorry, we didn't get to talk about husbands. That would be bad. So 1 Peter chapter 3, we will get there in a moment. Quick review. So we started in chapter 1. We looked at the gospel. We saw that God is holy. We saw that we represent him, and therefore we are to be holy as God is holy. We have seen, and I've hit it every single week, or whoever was preaching, that we are sojourners. We are exiles. This is not our home. We receive the truth, and we are charged with declaring his excellencies. Verse number 12 in chapter 2 is critical. Keep your conduct amongst the unbelievers honorable was the word that we looked at, because they are watching this is important because it's going to tie back to our passage this morning. And for all of these reasons, he then jumps into be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether government or boss or whomever. Our conduct is to be holy, respectful, um, even when... I used to think I used the word last week, more supernatural -er. So even when you're despised or rejected or... Uh, treated unjustly or persecuted, we need to show them that the gospel is real and that Christ is very much alive and he lives within us. And when we have that kind of a supernatural response, they will take notice. And as we do so, we look to Jesus, who scripture says is our shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And oh, how I love that. For he's our example, the word of God says, of how to go through sufferings and persecutions properly. And next we continued into chapter, where we jump into chapter three, verses one through seven, which is a continuation of everything that we've said. But now we jump into marriage. Great topic for some reason, I'm just a little bit more excited today. I don't know why that is. Uh, but as I was preparing, I went all the way back to Genesis. And I was thinking about before the fall. Man was working for the Lord. He was in a perfect relationship with his creator and with his helper, the woman. The woman Eve was at perfect peace as man's helper. Her identity was just being content with who God made her to be. And she was happy to complete man and be the mate that he needed for his work. So now when I look at men, I see there's more to this 
but we desire to achieve, to get things accomplished, to make decisions, to lead. And before the fall, that's what man did. That's what Adam did. God delegated great authority to man. Tend the garden. You can even name the animals. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago at coffee. And the Lord says, what are you going to call this one? And he says, rhinoceros. And the Lord says, well, okay then. There's great authority that the Lord is delegating to man. And it was a, a wonderful relationship. But after the fall, after sin entered the scene, things like laziness, weak leadership, having work and accomplishments become a God to man, abdicating our responsibility to lead and to love our wives and enjoy her. Those things came in and we continue to struggle with those. Women, women desire to be beautiful and to be thought of as beautiful and to be of help and to feel needed. And before the fall, she was and was perfectly content in that state. But after the fall, when sin enters into the scene, in came the exchange of inner beauty for outward appearance. Belief in the lie that identity is wrapped up in outward beauty, a good figure, the proper weight, and so on. It all came, it also came a desire uh, to lead the man instead of helping him, to always be heard, to achieve in ways that she didn't need to achieve before the fall. And we see in Romans 1 that men and women even exchanged natural relations, is what the word says, with one another and began to have passions for people of the same gender. There was a lot that happened after the fall, and we will touch on some of those things today. And although this passage is much more than just the things that I've covered. They need to be understood because what Peter is doing, he is showing how Jesus and the atonement can bring restoration, restoring things like work, beauty, honoring spouses, marriage itself to the way that it was before the fall. So there's a restoration that takes place in his teachings as we learn to recognize the lies of the enemy that remind us of who we were after the fall and the truth of the gospel that tells us who we now are in Christ and therefore how our actions can and should be different. So that's what helped me to start seeing this passage. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, and let's just read it. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's in your worship guide. It's on the screen, probably on your phone. Here's the word of God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, if you are on the Redstone, we have these, it's not an official thing, but we have a group me for women and we have a group me for men. And it's a casual way that we can just have conversations with one another. Official correspondence is going to come through the church center app. It's going to come through official emails. But if someone says, hey, does anybody have a backhoe? Or some of us are going to the park this afternoon and we're bringing our kids. Those conversations take place on GroupMe. If you're not on a ladies' GroupMe, see some of the men in the church and we'll get you on there. Come see me, come see Sam, come see Mike. And the lady's going to be back at the back table. I think Kyler's going to be back there today and she can get you plugged in. Okay, I say all that to say, I threw out the question this past week. And I wanted to know what was your first impression or what is your first impression when you just read this passage, okay? And I got a slew. I asked for two sentences and you all failed miserably because no one gave me two sentences. I could use all of our time today just reading your responses. And I'm not, but I've got to read a few of them because they were really, really good. Okay, so here we go. My first reaction is that those are dangerous verses when used in the wrong way. They used to scare me, but now that I understand them better and have trustworthy men in my life, I have more peace with reading that passage. Here's the second one. Here is a call to be strong in faith and minister to my husband whenever he's apathetic, disobedient in his faith. I must be an encourager and a giver of grace, gentle and quiet spirit. I think I do this on the outside, but I need, um, I need to work on this inwardly. Um, I had an uneasy first impression to Sarah calling Abraham Lord and also to women being called the weak, weaker vehicle, vehicle, this vessel, <laughs> whatever, same thing, right? And in parentheses, physically, I agree, but not always spiritually or emotionally. Maybe these are just cultural differences. Maybe Sarah just had a greater respect for Abraham sometimes, and that's something that I need to work on. Next one. It is honoring to God for a wife to submit to her husband. It doesn't make her inferior, but shows her respect and trust toward her husband and his responsibilities. It is also important to let your inner beauty preside over the exterior look. For a husband's prayer to be effective, he should honor his wife in marriage with gentleness and tact. Although physically weaker, she is to be treated with the same grace and love shown to him. I started this one. Everything that he is suggesting is opposite of what our fleshly tendencies are. Women want to take control and adorn externally, and men want to think of themselves as superior to their wives. As believing women, God desired them and us to be less concerned with fitting the stereotype of patriarchal society had the pretty little things to be physically admired and more concerned with bringing honor to him and how we act and speak. This is important because this is where we're going this morning. It says, within circles of unbelievers, our conduct should point to our allegiance to Christ above all. Christian men and women who are married should reflect mutual respect and love to each other. This is a reflection of Christ as well as a testimony of Christ's acceptance and kindness to a patriarchal society. 
And I said that I wouldn't um, share in the sermon who wrote what, and I won't. But I will say this. This particular one ended up on my laptop on a piece of paper, handwriting that I have seen before. And she may or may not be working in Camp Redstone this morning. But she says, wives, let inside beauty show more than outward beauty. And then she tried to be funny. She says, show respect, actions speak louder than words, even if your husband is weird, doesn't know what he's doing, or can sometimes be a jerk, just love the poor thing anyway. Ha. So there was that. One individual shared some very insightful commentary, but unfortunately it was from the book of Ephesians instead of 1 Peter. Is Doug Middaw here today? Doug. We're in 1 Peter. Right. Yeah. So, good morning, Doug. Um, I'll only share this one because I actually think that it's funny. He says, this last thought is mostly a funny one and probably doesn't need to be included today unless you just want to poke fun of husbands. In verse 1, when Peter calls the wives to be subject to their own husbands, the word that is translated as own comes from the Greek word, which is idios. I-D-I-O-S. Idios, which is also where we get the word idiot. So you could almost say this first commands wives to be subject to their idiot husbands, but I'm not sure that we should emphasize that at church. Well, we just did, right? We just did. Um, before we give that to our wives as a tool to use against us, the word meant and means of one's own or private, which at the time referred to someone who was not interested in public affairs or you know, government ha you know, happenings. So it's a lot different than how we use the word today. Okay, putting it in context. And this is the last one I'll share. Uh, this last one came pretty late in the game. I was already finished with the sermon, but I had to go back and insert it. And it's definitely more than two sentences, but just listen to this. Initially, I'm confronted with how, when I think of myself, so much of my identity is wrapped up in my physical external appearance. For this reason, verses 3 through 5 really reach out to me. And yet the calling is not for my adorning to be external, but that of the hidden person of the heart. I think I struggle understanding how men and women are created differently in this. What I mean is that one of woman's deepest desires or one of her inner questions is, and I asked this earlier, am I beautiful? So then the calling to not identify with external beauty feels almost like being called against our nature. And it makes me wonder, is it not that God placed that question on a woman's heart? And if so, is the goal for us to be completely dependent upon him in this? To look to Christ to define our beauty. That deep need to be desired and to be wanted. And then somehow all of this is wrapped up in submission. First and foremost to Christ, but then also to our husbands if we are married. I think men also have an inner question, but one that asks the question, am I powerful? which may even be, am I enough? If broken down further, and the call to men here seems to be somewhat of laying down of power, um, the assumption is that they are powerful, they are a leader, noting that their wives are the weaker vessel, and yet they must find a way to understand them, even though their core questions are different. They are called to find a way to understand their wives, who are so desperate to be desired, wanted, beautiful, and in our sin or flesh will look for external ways to get it. And men in their sin will sometimes use their power 
and role as a leader as an excuse to not have to try and understand their wives, which can begin a cycle of misplaced desire and control uh, battling with passivity and broken relationship in a marriage. Golly, there's a lot there, right? And these are the things that we, we received. So good. So thank you for you guys that sent your responses. I already shared probably more than I should have, but it's just good for us to hear. So I was looking for first impressions. And the reason that I was looking for first impressions is because sometimes we can take a passage, we can pull it out like this one, and we're like, okay, so what is he saying here? And what I'm trying to help us to see as we go through 1 Peter and as we went through Ephesians is that it all fits together. There's this theological term, it's called hermeneutics, that has to be applied. And hermeneutics means the method and principle for interpreting scripture and ancient texts. Okay, so proper hermeneutics considers things like who was the author, who was the audience, what was said before, what is said after, what is the setting, and so on. I only bring that up because if we read this passage and we just go straight to be subject to, or a weaker vessel, or don't wear these things, and Peter's saying, ah, so we're not, if I'm a woman, to wear jewelry or braid hair, and women aren't allowed to speak or share their thoughts or opinions. If that's what we receive from this, we have failed the hermeneutics of what he was trying to say in 1 Peter 3. That would be a poor interpretation of Peter's intent. But most of the responses that I received immediately went to be subject to, and that was where the wrestling took place. But I believe that this passage is about so much more than that. And that there's a reason behind this be subject to charge that is actually somewhat evangelistic. And that's why we have to go back to be able to see that. So let me explain. Okay, remember last week, I reminded us that there's no chapter breaks. There's no Peter saying, okay, I'm finished with that topic. Now let's title this one chapter two. I'm finished with that. Now let's title this one chapter three. He doesn't do that. Man has done that. So this is a continuation of everything that has been said and taught beforehand. And with that being said, we have to go back and we have to look at everything that he did say before, before we can understand the passage. So in the passage, let's just start here. First Peter three, one through two, the red, that's kind of where I'm going to hang out. It says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So there's a likewise here that points back to what was said. And that likewise points back to what was said. And that likewise points back to what was said. You see it over and over, and you have to go all the way back to 1 Peter 1 to be able to understand what's happening in 1 Peter 3. I'm hitting highlights. Christ has revealed to himself and his mercy to you and to me. It was hidden for ages, but now we understand the gospel. He who ransomed you is holy, and as such, you and I are to be holy too. You are a new person now, and you belong to, from Scripture, a new race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. You are now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are now the people 
of God. And as the people of God, this is no longer your home. You are in exile and you are a sojourner and you are passing through and our behavior should represent the fact that we don't find our home or a happiness or identity here. But while you are here, your objective is to, quote unquote, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Chapter 2, verse number 12, there's this therefore. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, which is talking about unbelievers. Keep your conduct honorable. Okay, honorable. So honorable that they will see your actions and marvel at what God has done in your life. And then last week, we looked at the passage that says that the key is one of the ways that you can show this honorable conduct is by subjecting yourself with all respect to every human institution and to subject yourself with all respect to anyone who oversees you. That was a challenging sermon. That was a challenging passage. If you did not receive that, if you were not here, you really need to go back. You need to listen to that sermon because it affects all of us. And your response to these people who oversee you they need to follow, the scripture says, the same pattern that Jesus gave us, which is that we are to not retaliate. We are to not bat, bite back. We are to not slander. We are to suffer well without threatening. And as we do so, to entrust ourselves to the one who is the shepherd and overseer of our soul. And he says, you do these things because they honor God and out of obedience to him, but also because, and this is key, because people are watching. Unbelievers are watching. Those who are weak in their faith are watching you. Those who think that Christianity is a sham are watching you. And your behavior has the power to show each of them that Jesus is alive and that he is living within you. That's the backdrop of what Peter is saying. And then he pivots, a word I use a lot, away from human institutions, away from masters and bosses. And now he goes directly into the home. But the context is the same. So the only thing that's different is the audience, okay? And he says, he doesn't say women, so we're talking about wives here. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Or in the same way that I told you how to do so with these other human institutions and people that are your bosses or whatever, in the same way that you are to subject yourself to these authority figures, you are to also do so to your husbands. So that, this is what it says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see that you are respectful, respectful and you are pure in conduct. So here it is. I think that, I feel strongly that the main point that he is making is tied to this uncanny, ho uh, holy, 
unexpected behavior that can come from a godly wife who is respectful and pure to her husband, and especially to a husband who's either an unbeliever, a new believer, or maybe is in rebellion and sin, but is a believer. I include all three of those because I think that there's a lot in this, even if some do not obey the word. So that could specifically be talking about unbelievers, but I think it could be talking about more than that. So in the same way that Christ's action spoke volumes, likewise your actions can speak volumes as well. Your actions as a holy wife can be evangelistic to your husband because he is paying attention. Okay? And then, three, three through four, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting off of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Although some cultural context might be helpful to understand this external adornment. I don't think that it's necessary, so I'm not going to. Because this is not a thou shalt not wear jewelry, makeup, or braid your hair passage. Even though someone read it that way, that is not what this passage is. Nor do I think it's necessary to compare what physical adornment looked like back then with what it is now. Because ladies adorning themselves has always been a part of human culture. And there may be exceptions to this, but for the most part, I would go so far as to say that husbands actually like it when you wear makeup and you do appreciate it when you, we do appreciate it when you wear jewelry and fix yourself up and look real nice for us on these special occasions. There's nothing wrong with those things within themselves, but it's the heart motivation behind them that is what's most important. And I know some will agree, disagree, but I think it's actually a show of love to our spouses when we clean each other up and we are trying to present ourselves well to our mates. However, and this is the big however, if that's the only way that the husband is seeing his wife's beauty, that's a problem. Or if that's where she thinks that he's seeing it, then that's a problem. Or if that's where she's finding her own identity and her looks and the way that people see her on the outside, then that's a problem. But lest I digress, I've got to continue. This passage is speaking to a conduct of a holy, Jesus-loving wife who has respectfully submitted first and foremost to the overseer of her soul, and as such has chosen to respond to her husband in a loving and respectful way, even when in her flesh, she'd probably rather respond quite differently. But she responds in ways that show how she has been transformed by the gospel internally, by God. She responds in ways that are absolutely supernatural. And as such, God sees it he sees that response and he says, that is beautiful. That is precious in my eyes. Why? Why isn't she getting mad? 
Why is she so kind and full of joy even when I'm being anything but that to her? Why is she like that? Those are the questions that the men may not vocalize, but they will see it. And maybe they will be won by the conduct of the wife, even if she never has to speak a word. Do you see that? I pray that you do, because I believe wholeheartedly that that's what this passage is about. It's the same type of uh, be subject to that we saw in chapter 2, a call to be subject to one another, but in extraordinary ways, just like in chapter 2, so that these unbelievers, and I said maybe a young, you know, non-believer or a young believer or maybe someone that's just rebelled against the Lord would see the gospel and Christ. So no, this is not Ephesians, Doug. This is not you know, just the order of things and this is who is subject to who and why. This is bigger than that. The motivation behind this be subject to goes with the likewise word which points back to the previous chapters that show it so that people can see that Jesus is alive so that they can see the gospel. This is show the gospel in extraordinary ways. And if he's an unbeliever, a new believer, or a believer who is in sin, your conduct that is respectful and kind and loving and gentle and quiet, those were the words that were used, well, that will have an impact on him. But while we're there, before we move to men, let's at least look at gentle and mild or, or quiet. Gentle meaning mild, gentle, gentle means gentle, Meek, soft, kind. It's a mildness, a softness laced with kindness. Okay, quiet, quiet spirit here. The meaning is well-ordered, still, peaceful, at rest. It's contentment in the moment, a peace and stillness that speaks of humility, faith, and being at rest in the situation no matter how hard it is. And that type of conduct, that calm demeanor, being content despite his conduct, that will speak volumes to him. And the Lord says, and oh, how precious it is in my eyes. So from this first section, which we're directing to Christian wives, I have two truths, two questions, these are in your worship guide. If you like to fill in the blank, I'll walk through them pretty quickly because I know we've got a lot to cover and it's getting late, right? So truth number one is this. God desires a Christian woman's inward, inward beauty to supersede their outward. I think outward's probably supposed to be yellow there as well. Their outward beauty. God desires a Christian woman's inward beauty beauty to supersede their outward beauty. So if you got that, then question number one would be, this is two wives. You don't answer this out loud, please. Is your primary focus more towards your inward beauty or your outward appearance? These are the things that we wrestle with when we sit under the word of God. If it's true that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it is because Jesus says that it is, then it's also true that the way that a wife sees herself will also determine 
her outward behavior. Social media screams, look at me, affirm me, like me, tell me that I'm pretty, tell me that this is a good picture. The sanctification goal is for the Christian woman, whether married or not, to be full of the Spirit of God and to have the inward beauty as Christ changes her from the inside out. And then she'll not need to receive this affirmation and these compliments from others because she knows that she is loved and beautiful in the eyes of her creator, restoring her to where Eve was before the fall. Truth number two. Consistent, if you're filling in the blanks, consistent, respectful, and pure conduct by a godly wife can have tremendous gospel pointing, that's a Jerry word, gospel pointing power in a husband's eyes. And many of us, I can't say wives, but many of us Jesus followers, when we hear charges like this, we're just like, how? How? I can't. And that's the point. It has to be supernatural because it has to be Christ enabling you to respond in supernatural ways. You can't do this on your own. So then question number two might be, is your daily behavior toward your husband reflective? Reflective of Christ's example and our call to point others to him. Again, I believe that that's the main point of this passage. Reflect Christ so that others, which in this case happens to be your husband, may see and may see God in you. This is a short disclaimer. I'm keeping it short because I need to move on. There are surely those in attendance who have been in abusive relationships or watched your mother or father be the subject of an abusive relationship. This is not saying suck it up and take it anyway. That's not what this is saying. It's not a call to put up with abuse. No, 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 a thousand times no. So where there is true abuse, others need to be told, help needs to be given, and you need to remove yourself and your children from that setting that is abusive. So this is not that. A lot of times when people see this passage, it's like, I just got to take it. I have to be quiet. He's beating me, but I have to take it because that's what Jesus would want of me. We can talk about that one more later. If you have questions about that, there will be ladies in the back who can direct you if you're like, I, that's, that's been me and I need, I need to let somebody know. But that's not what this is saying. Okay, he then ends this section and he says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And then he says, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I have five really good First Peter commentaries and none of them understood what that passage was saying. And their explanations were not so good that I'm going to borrow from them. So we're going to move on. 
I'm not quite sure what the latter part, verse 5 and 6, says. So why spend time trying to explain something that I don't understand? That's just my honesty before you. So let's move on to men. And all of the wives say, Amen. Right. So chapter 1, of, you know, or chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So now we're focusing on the husbands. Now, he hasn't changed anything. We're still sitting under the likewise that points back to everything that I covered earlier. And I'm not going to go through it again just for the sake of time. But everything that we saw from chapter 1 and chapter 2 and that we saw last week... All of that is under the umbrella of declare his excellencies. Unbelievers are watching. Respond in such a way, even when you're treated poorly, that unbelievers are going to be able to see it. So I think if you extrapolate that, what was said here comes here and here and here unto husbands. It's the same kind of a husband's your behavior needs to be as such that an unbelieving um, young in her faith or maybe a rebellious you know, wife would be able to see it as well. But he's addressing husbands. You represent him now. And the way that you re represent him in the marriage has the ability to point her to Jesus. And then he says, after the likewise, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. So first, I think that there's more to live with than just being in a relationship with them where we live under the same roof with them. See what he says at the end of this passage? He says that we are with the wives, that we're heirs. We're heirs together of the grace of life. And living with them begins with understanding that fact, the fact that you are co-heirs, that you've left your parents and come to together under God's holy marriage covenant, and you are now one. And if we are one with our wives, then we must care for them in the same way that we care for ourselves. And we must, and hear me on this, fellows, we must be present, live with. We must be present in their lives. It is so much easier for us to work late or to hang out with the guys or to be in the garage or anywhere else because those things come easier to us in our fallen state. That doesn't mean that those things are bad within themselves. My wife would tell you that I do these probably semi-annual excursions with my friend Adam, and I'm probably a better husband and a better father because of that. So sometimes it's good to get away, okay? But we need to be with them, and we need to love them in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, which is in Ephesians. And we do that by being present. Our presence is important. Not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, -E -E though the wives would say, well, those are okay too, right? But actual presence, by being present, that will not go unnoticed to our wives. And if we're only there in bodily form, but we really keep on hitting the volume to hear what's happening on ESPN. 
then we're not really present when they're trying to tell us something or ask us something or show us something. They are co-heirs with us of life. We must be present with them in an understanding way. And I believe that that understanding way takes us to what he says next, that we show honor. We show honor to them by being present. This word honor, the meaning is respect, status, price, to value. Many of the translations of the same word speak clearly about money and about value. So it's the idea of showing a wife what great worth that she is in our eyes. And we do this by living with them, by being present with them in an understanding way, by pouring out ourselves on their behalves, by recognizing that they are co-heirs with us of life itself. So we are to honor them. And the truth is life can't even come into this world apart from them. So there's another reason to honor them. There's this great passage, it's in Romans 12, and it says that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. I just love that idea. You talk about a competitive spirit, well there, use it. But outdo one another in showing honor. So back to this charge to husbands. I've said over and over, I believe that the point of the passage is not just to tell the husbands how to act, but to remind them that their actions can have gospel power. Their actions, our actions, have the ability to show Christ's supernatural change in us and through us. And if we happen to live with an unbelieving wife, our honorable and respectful behavior has the power to point them to Christ. Or if we live with a wife that is young in her faith and not as mature spiritually, we have the ability to show them Jesus and to help them grow by our loving kingdom-focused actions. And if we have a wife who's a believer, but going through a phase where she's difficult, she's miserable, running from the Lord, and maybe she's taking it out on the husband, our actions have the ability once again, to show Jesus to her, especially when we don't just, husbands, are you listening? When we don't just bolt when times are tough or turn the TV on instead of having a conversation with them. When we take criticism and we don't have to retaliate or defend ourselves or win the argument of the moment. That's the likewise husband's meaning behind this passage. Show them Jesus supernaturally. And when we don't do that, husbands, when instead we do bolt or live for ourselves or don't listen or choose to retaliate, when that happens, this passage says that even our prayers will be hindered. I don't know that I fully understand the theology of what Peter means by that, but I do know this. He's pretty straightforward in saying that. So even if I don't understand it, it's true nonetheless. Dishonoring your wives will cause your prayers to be hindered. 
One more note here. When Peter uses the phrase weaker vessel, we need not overthink this phrase and wives need not be easily offended by it either. Even though I do know a few women who are stronger than men I know. I remember when my wife um, would arm wrestle boys in our house, including your son, by the way, seventh, eighth, and ninth graders, she would always win and it would drive them crazy. And I think Jenny Smith is stronger than some of the men in this audience. So there are exceptions, okay? But that is not the norm. By God's design, women are actually designed to be physically weaker than men. And to rebel against that, and you know this is a slippery slope, I could really get off track easily, but to rebel against that, to not like how we are created, but prefer to have the strength as a man and go so far as to change our sex or to go swim against the women or anything else, that's nothing less than rebellion against our creator, God himself, and the way that we are created. But in the context of this passage, Peter is saying that they may be weaker and should be protected as such, but they are nonetheless co-heirs with us of life. Co-heirs with life. So husbands, we are to not be haughty and prideful and think of ourselves more, more highly than we should because of our gender, but we are to honor our wives to enjoy them, to be present with them, to love them, to protect them, to enjoy life with them. Summers, holidays, Dollywood, snowy days, rainy days. To be present in their lives in such an understanding way that they see that we are committed to them and that it's not their life and our life, but we are co-heirs and we are honoring them in the way that we are present with them. And since the wives received two truths and two questions, the men must as well. There must be equality here. So truth number three, if you're filling in the blanks, and I am bringing things to a close quickly for those of you that are like, my kids are going crazy, I'm sure, back in the back. God desires Christian husbands to be fully committed to loving their wives honorably. Honorably. That's God's desire. So then question number three to us husbands is this. Are you fully present in your marriage? the better question might be, what would your wife say to that same question? Are you fully present? Question number four, husbands are to lovingly come alongside the wife as their equal heir in all areas of life. Now that doesn't eradicate what I believe is the, the, the wise order that God has placed in the world. And we talked about that in Ephesians. So it doesn't take that away. We're all one in Christ. There's neither male nor female or nor Jew nor Gentile, but there is an order of things. So this doesn't eradicate that. But the idea here is to be present, to love them and enjoy them are we doing that? And that takes us to our final question of the day to the men. Do you enjoy 
Simple question, do you enjoy being with your wife? And what would she say? I know this isn't easy. And it shouldn't be. It's the resurrected Jesus. It's the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead residing in us. 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3 is saying, be holy as God is holy. And if we can teach that, and if we can memorize that, and if we can like do whatever, but we can't live that out in our homes, then we're missing it. The charge here is great. It's tremendous. It is easier pastoring you than it is being a loving husband or father in my own house. That's where the rubber meets the road because that's where I step in after I've had a hard day where I'm dealing with anxiety or I just want me time or whatever. And it takes a supernatural Jesus changing me that enables me to show honor to the people under my roof. And in this case, it's saying husbands to wives and wives to husbands. We need to do so in such a way that they can see the resurrected Christ living within us. And that is the point of the passage. That a believing, Jesus-following spouse represents Christ to their marriage partner when they do so in an honorable way. And when the husband is not saved, is a new believer, or maybe a believer who's not living properly, that Christian spouse has the power to show the supernatural, transforming power of the gospel by their loving, sacrificial, non-retaliatory, respectful, honorable, and I'm sure there's others that I could use, behavior. That's what this passage is about. It's not just be subject to and the inward versus the outward. It's deeper than that. It's the reason behind that is to point to Jesus. It's not about us. This is to point to Christ. And eternity is at stake by the way that we're living this out with our spouses. But along the way, the Spirit of God may have touched you in other ways. And if so, then I think we need to be open to hearing how he wants to challenge each of us individually. Let's simply let God remind us of these truths and change us where and however he wants to. I'll read this, and then I'll pray. Just hear it one more time. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers 
may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to each of us husbands and wives and maybe future husbands and wives in ways that we need to hear it. May we see the motivation behind passages like this and where we see things and recognize that we are believing a lie of the enemy. May there be gospel restoration and true repentance so that when we leave here, that this next week will look different, better. Worship team, if you will, just come on up to the front. We're going to close in a moment. Right now, just be still. Sit under the teaching of the word. I want badly to pass the microphone around today for the sake of time. We're just not going to do that. So let's take this conversation into our community groups and into our homes. Eternity is at stake, spouses, by the way that we live our lives. Forgive us, O God, where we have failed. Remind us that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, teach us to abide in the vine and to be reminded that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, I pray that the wives and that the husbands that are present in this congregation would recognize and receive the charge before us, but that we would find our identity in you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.